sure that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Praise the Lord. Once again, let us just pray. May the words of my mouth, O Lord, and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Mary, our mother, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the heart and the mind both are so crucial to our physical bodies. All our organs are crucial for our survival. But I think it's the heart and the brain that we have that ranks highest. It is the same in our spiritual lives. In our spiritual lives also, the heart and the mind are very, very important and rank high in God's eyes. And that is why we find that numerous scriptures in the Bible refer to the heart and to the mind. Why? Because these express our thoughts and our feelings. And our thoughts and our feelings reveal to one another the person that I am. The second thing is that my thoughts and my feelings can be positive or negative, and they impact the lives of others. Just take, for example, if you compare the lives of Mother Teresa and Hitler of Germany. You see, on the one hand, the thoughts and feelings of Mother Teresa led to her saving human life, doing all that she could to make that life comfortable and happy. But when it came to Hitler, it was so much of negative thoughts and negative feelings that led to destroying human life. Now, apart from these things that I've just mentioned to you, that I reveal myself through my thoughts and my feelings, on the other hand, I can impact the lives of others. And the most important thing is, depending on the quality of my thoughts and my feelings, if they are pure, if they are holy, if they are God-centered, then I'm assured of a happy eternity. But what if it is not? Eternity awaits every one of us, brothers and sisters. Once we die, we say always in the Apostles' Creed, one of the tenets of our faith is, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 11 tells us very clearly through Solomon that God has put eternity into the mind of man. Now, some people take that very lightly. You know, I'm young. I've got my whole life ahead. It's not yet time for me to, you know, think of eternity. They brush it off. But there are others who, you know, willfully say that they are not concerned about eternity. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. 
That is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where they just want to make the most of life, live life as they please. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 32 to 34, we find that when they have this kind of attitude, I'm reading now from verse 32. What do I gain, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, now these people don't believe in life everlasting in eternity. Let us, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Come to your right mind and sin no more. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And he's very clearly giving this as an exhortation. He says, come to your right mind. I think if you and I come to our right minds right now, we have to turn our minds to God. And I do this referring to the text that is preceding the one that we were dwelling on last week. Last week we dwelt on Romans chapter 12 too, where Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you will come to know what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So what does he say to us in Romans chapter 11? I say now we have to turn our minds to God. Why? Look at these, this richness of this text. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. And here we can see that you and I, time and again in our lives, we have been amazed at God's infinite wisdom. When we look at the things around us, or we think of the things, blessings that we have experienced in our lives, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, Lord, what have I done to earn this favor? His tremendous love, his wisdom, his compassion, everything is beyond our comprehension. And so, while we are thanking God for his wisdom and the marvelous mind, infinite mind that he has, we also bring our own minds before the Lord with all its faculties. Can you imagine our minds? I have an intellect with which I can think and reason. I have a will that helps me to make choices and decisions. And I also have my memory, which helps me to register things and also recall them at a later point of time. Our minds are complex. And God has given us all these faculties to work out his plan and purpose in our lives, which means that we have to use our minds, use our minds 
as he expects us to use them. When I'm talking about using our minds, there are very many people today who abuse the intelligence that God has given us. Everybody knows today that we are living in a highly competitive world and how wisdom, our intelligence, will either make or mar our lives in this competitive world. But think for a moment, some of the most highly intelligent people are the greatest threat to society. Why? Because they are abusing the intelligence that God has given them to destroy life and property. And so we see that God wants us to use our mental faculties to work out his plan and purpose for our lives. Now last week, we dwelt on what prevents us, for those who didn't come last week, I'll just tell you very briefly, what prevents the renewal of the mind? And I just spoke about four things, the world, the flesh, the devil, and our problems in life. And today, we are going to dwell on how we can be transformed by the renewal of our minds. For this to happen, the first step, and I was so happy when Kathy shared that scripture where we had to just greet one another with that scripture. What was the ending of that scripture? To know the Lord better. And the first step in the renewing of our minds is to know God. When I talk about knowing God, it is not mental knowledge or head knowledge. It is to experience, to have a tangible experience of him in my life and to grow in an intimate relationship with him where I begin to know what God expects of me, what God wants of me. And Jeremiah chapter 9 tells us this very clearly. Jeremiah 9.23 Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty, that's the powerful man, glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practice steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight says the Lord and so the Lord is saying I don't want all these other things your riches your might all that is of no consequence to me what I want is I want you to understand and to know me and I just explained to you I don't want to get into this now how we come to know Christ through our a life in the Spirit seminars and through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's a different talk altogether. But today we find that there are people who will deny the existence of God. They'll never know God if they deny his existence. We also have people who have perhaps rejected God. They have made gods for themselves, gods of people, gods of objects in their life, and those are the gods that they have. So the true God who has come to us through Jesus Christ is rejected by them. 
We also have another category of people who feel that they can appease their God by killing others. In John chapter 16, we have this text. Now, I'm just dwelling on this important point of knowing God being the first step in the renewal of our minds. So we have here in John chapter 16, Jesus telling the disciples, there was a lot of persecution that was awaiting them and Jesus is warning them in advance. I have said all this to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Has that hour come? Brothers and sisters, has that hour come? Yes, very much so. There are people who are killing and think that they are offering sacrifice to God. And Jesus says very clearly, they will do this because they do not know the Father nor me. For such people, we can see that their thinking is warped. Their think, warped thinking is resulting in actions like this. But leave them alone. I'm talking today of baptized Christians. Paul tells us very clearly that we may not be presenting ourselves as holy as we think we are, but we are in our own way very sinful, self-centered rather than God-centered. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, he says, we are holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. So I call myself a Christian, but I don't live as a Christian. I do not live as a true follower of Jesus Christ. Added to that, I also want to say this, that the saddest part of all these categories that I've just mentioned are those who have a very distorted image of God. If I have a distorted image of God, I can never get to know him. Now, sometimes things may have been said to us, especially when we were young. I'm thinking of myself of the wrong teachings that I had in catechism. That God is one who will punish me if I'm bad. I will have to face his wrath. And I feel even more sad when sometimes parents and teachers, when correcting young children, have put this into their mind that any wrong thing that they have done, they'll say, God will punish you. So I'm growing up with this idea that my God is a harsh God, a cruel God, and I cannot relate to such a God. So you see now, if I have a distorted image of God, I will never get to know him. But coming now to me again, I am thankful to God for the day when I came to know the truth that my God is nothing else but love. 
in 1 John 4, 16, when I heard this truth, God is love, I said to myself, then if it's anyone who's punishing me, it's myself. God does not punish us. I have to earn the reward for which life I am living today, the quality of my life. When I heard this, God is love. And then I also heard he hates sin, but he loves the sinner. That made it for me. But I also realized that he doesn't want me as a sinner to remain the way I am. That he wants me to come out of my sin and be his true follower. Even aiming to be as sinless as he is. All this, dear brothers and sisters, I am sharing with you that knowing Jesus is all important. Why? Because the moment he comes into my life, wow. He begins to flush out wrong values, wrong attitudes, wrong behavior. His only desire, apart from saving me, his work of redemption has been done, is to set me free. And in John 8.36, Jesus says very clearly, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How does he work this out? How does he help me to become free? Today, I think of Jesus as the great architect of transforming my renewal, uh, renew, the renewal of my mind. He is a great architect, I repeat. And if he is an architect, he has ways and means, just like a builder is the architect of a building, knows exactly what he has in his mind. Jesus has the means of helping bring about renewal of our minds. There are two very important things that he has given us for the renewal of our minds. One is the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5.32, the moment Jesus, I accept him in my life as my Lord, personal Savior and Lord, Acts 5.32 says, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. So that Holy Spirit who I received at my baptism suddenly seems to become so alive and operative in my life. This is all Jesus is doing. On my own power and strength, I can do nothing. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life. What life am I talking about? It's well explained to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. We'll dwell for a while on the Holy Spirit. So we have here in Romans chapter 8, Verse 11. Would somebody like to read? Read aloud, please. Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit... Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, yes, will give life to your mortal bodies 
also yes absolutely clear what paul is telling us if the spirit of him who raised jesus jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the holy spirit so we see how for the work of creation and for the work of redemption god needed the holy spirit and now paul says if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit which dwells in you this means that i have a divine life the very presence of god inside this physical body praise the lord this is made more clear to us in 1 corinthians chapter 3:16 where paul is saying do you not know that you are the temple of god that this body of mine is the temple of the holy spirit and we have a relevant text in in 1 corinthians 6:19 saying the same thing that my body is the temple of the holy spirit and i need to glorify god in my body how can i glorify god in my body if my thoughts are not pure if my thoughts are not holy if my free will is not attuned to the will of god you know when you i i'm amazed not only at god's wisdom his amazing mind i'm amazed at paul and to think of paul he was such a learned jew he was so zealous for god that he was even killing the christians torturing them and killing them until he was knocked off his horse i think some of us dear brothers and sisters have to be knocked off our horse also you know when pride comes into our lives selfishness comes into our lives self-centeredness you know i'm just thinking on the one hand we have people when i'm talking about the mind there are people on the one hand with the superiority complex always wanting to promote themselves having selfish ambition self ambition self promotion and even self glorification the lord does not want this and on the other hand we also have people who are the other extreme suffering from an inferiority complex self pity running into depression suffering from discouragement and despair our lord wants us to enjoy our lives he wants us to think and act in accordance with his will so as i continue now i'm going to continue now telling you the many many ways in which the holy spirit brings about transformation and renewal of the mind one of the first ways is he begins to help me think like jesus he gives me a mind that thinks like jesus we have this text in 1 corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 to 16 i'm not reading all of the text uh, verses but here it says as it is written 
what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. See, once I surrender my life to Jesus, thereafter, and I get to know him, and I'm just thinking for a moment, in our catechism we learned, why did God create us? To know him, love him, serve him, and to be happy with him in the next. That's God's plan and purpose for our lives. I can never love and serve God unless I know him. And now Paul is saying, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what, what person knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of the man which is in him, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God dwells within me, I will begin to think the thoughts of God. Who is conveying it to me? The Holy Spirit. And that's how you'll find that, you know, if I have been, you know, very negative in my thinking, now all of a sudden, prompts will come from the Holy Spirit himself. Sometimes I may see a person walking on the street and say, mm, look at that proud person. And you know, immediately you'll hear the Holy Spirit say to you, prompt you and say, that is an uncharitable thought. It has happened to me. And that's why I'm testifying here. How he will alter our thinking. So, he is conveying to us the thoughts that are God's. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. I'm skipping off a few verses and I'm going to this last one. Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And the only one who can give us a mind that thinks like Christ is the Holy Spirit. The next point concerning renewal of the mind, John chapter 16, verses 7 to 11. Jesus says, when the counselor comes, he will convince the world. He will convince the world of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Now I'm thinking for a moment, there were many things before I came to Christ, knowing Christ, until the Holy Spirit came into my life. There were many things that I thought, ah, that's not sin. Everybody is doing it, yes. That was my thinking. Lies, which is very, very clearly said, is a sin in the eyes of God and will be dealt with very severely, severely in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It is clubbed together with all the other big sins. And here, I'm just thinking to myself, we call some of our lies white lies. Where in the Bible is there anything about white lies? All lies, all our grumbling and our complaining, everything, our unforgiveness, our grudges against 
one another is an abomination in the eyes of God. And so we see that he will convince me of sin. I was convicted of the sin of lies when I came to the Lord. And I remember soon after my conversion experience, when I got involved in perhaps, you know, preparing teachings, I used to take a very, very, very long time those days, somebody would come and immediately the thought would come to tell my sister, tell them they are not at home. But with the Holy Spirit, no. I will go myself and tell them. Excuse me, I'm very busy preparing a teaching. Will you come another time? Sure. So I never had to tell a lie. And I tell you, dear brothers and sisters, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, that he will convince us of our sin, of any wrongdoing. And little by little, you'll find that sin begins to decrease in your life. When we talk about righteousness, Jesus is, I think, with a heart of sadness saying this. He is our righteousness. But when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him for baptism, he told the disciples, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the not sins, sin. The sin, one sin of rejecting Christ. The scripture says, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If we reject Christ, you can be sure that every other sin is going to grow in our lives. Every other sin. And so we find that Jesus is saying about righteousness. When I begin to exalt Jesus, as the righteousness of my life. The scriptures again tell us in 2 Corinthians 5 that Jesus made him to be sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. Just imagine Jesus' mighty work of redemption. And so, the third thing is judgment. Once again, we will be convinced that there is a life after this and my life in eternity is going to depend on my, the judgment at the end of time. Hebrews 9.27 says, very clearly, it is appointed for men to die once and then the judgment. Now this should not make me afraid, but what have I got to do? The moment Jesus becomes the Lord and center of my life, the next thing that happens is I begin to set my mind on things above. Paul advocates this in Colossians chapter 3. Verses 2 to 4. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Praise the Lord. We are being assured over here that the Holy Spirit will convince us that this, this, this is going to happen in our lives, that there's going to be judgment at the end, finally, and he here. 
exhorts us, but this thing will happen automatically, I say, because the one who is working within our minds is the Holy Spirit. Okay. The third point that I give you about how renewal of my mind can take place is again given by Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 13. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. Brothers and sisters, I can't tell you the lies that we hear on the, in the media, the lies that we hear from one another's mouths. All this is from the father of lies, the deceiver. Not only does he try to deceive us, he will tell me, oh, God hates you because you're a sinner. He will never forgive you your sin. But I know better today that the moment I confess my sin, my sin is forgiven. The problem with us is we don't know the truth. And I'll come to that point as I'm sharing the next point on the word of God. And so we see we come to know the truth about God. We come to know the truth about ourselves. We come to know the truth about all the philosophies, false ideologies, the erroneous teachings that are being given, and all the dangerous practices which lead us up the garden path. Those dangerous practices are being very uh, projected in a very, very prominent way through various therapies, New Age methods, the Lord is telling us very, very clearly that those practices are not of him. We have not only the Bible to guide us, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, but we also have our church. I shared with you all last week some of the things where the church guides us in these things. So the next point is, that the Holy Spirit enables us to grow in obedience and holiness. Let me share this with you. The Holy Spirit will always bring to our minds the word of God. I said he convinces us of many things, but he'll also convict us. Show us where we are going wrong. I recall years back, I was falsely accused. And you know, a false accusation is something which we just can't tolerate. And so I said to myself, now, you know, I was a, a I'm not the same person that I was today. Huh? I was a very harsh person in the days gone by. And I said, I'm going to fire this person for having said this to me. What do I hear? Be quiet. Be quiet. This prompting, of, I didn't know it's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is prompting me and bringing, me, bringing to my mind the words of the Lord. Now this is given to us in John chapter 14, 26. That the Lord, Jesus tells us very clearly, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all that I have taught you. And simultaneously, together with this voice, came these words to me. If your brother sins against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make peace with your brother. Now, when you have not done any wrong, 
your mind will rationalize and tell you, look here, you have not done any wrong, don't go and say sorry. You don't go and make peace, let that person come and make peace with you. See, my mind thinks that way, the world thinks that way, but Jesus says no. Jesus says if your brother has sinned against you, you go and make peace. And I tell you, the moment you decide to do that, you will experience the tremendous grace and mercy of God flooding your being, and you will automatically walk towards that person and make peace. This is how the Holy Spirit works. He helps me to be obedient to all that the Lord asks. And this kind of obedience, obeying the word of God, automatically leads to holiness. We have here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, but I'll just read, yeah, actually it begins with speaking about holiness. He is the sanctifier, mind you, so he makes us holy. For God has not called us for uncleanness, but holiness. Now, this text is given in the context of having immoral relationships, okay? And I remember once years back when I was at a meeting of the formators of uh, Don Bosco's. They were all priests, formators, forming the seminarian. Some of the questions that they were shooting to me after I shared uh, with them about my life as a single woman in the world, why can't priests marry, etc., etc. I just told them, I said, look, as a single person in the world, do you think I don't get tempted in the area of my sexuality? And then I told them, when these unholy desires and feelings come into you, all that you need to do is cry out to the Holy Spirit and say, please sanctify my feelings, and it's gone. Ask and you shall receive. And I even remember when I was talking about this to an elderly sister, and I looked at her and I said, sister, as old as you are, she must have been about 15, 20 years older than me. Doesn't it happen to you that when you see somebody, you look a second and a third time, a person of the opposite? Yes, my dear. Hmm. It happens to all of us all the time. But we have to keep our feelings in check, and the one who can help us do that is the Holy Spirit. So, and the next one here, one more. He not only helps me to think like Jesus, the Holy Spirit helps me to think like Jesus, he helps me to act like Jesus, but ultimately he transforms me into the very image and likeness of Jesus. One of the things, the reason why we have to really come to know God is to live our lives in accordance to what he wants. That image that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, that has been our, perhaps, um, I won't say undeserved, we undeserved problem which we have to cope with. And our lives can help us to regain that lost image provided we begin to rely on the Holy Spirit. So here in 2 Thessalonians, 
chapter 3, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18, verses 17 and 18. Remember, he is the Lord, the giver of life. I missed it, sorry. Yeah. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I would say that the Holy Spirit, as we said in Acts 5.32, he is a gift given to us by God. And I would say he is a great gift. We have to have a special devotion to him. We have to keep praying to him on a daily basis. And he is the one who will bring about not only just the renewal of my mind, but transforming me into the very image and likeness of God. I think I've just got time to share a few more points concerning the second one about how Jesus will use his word, his holy word, the scriptures, to help in the renewal of our minds. And so I take you to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we have, the word of God. Can anyone say it for me? The word of God is? Alive and active. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of joints and marrow. Of soul and spirit. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word of God, just like the work of the Holy Spirit not only convinces us, but also convicts us. The word of God helps me to sift and see whether these attitudes and these values and my whatever thoughts I have are positive or they are negative. And once I see that this is in my life and should not be there, then again I have to call upon the Lord to help me to overcome them. In here, we have uh, sorry, John chapter 8, 31. Jesus says, if you really are my disciples, continue in my word. You will come to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The word of God is so important. I hope every one of us is reading the scriptures every day. Because as we read the scriptures, we are beginning to see of ourselves more through the eyes of Jesus. We begin to see the wrong in our lives. We see ways and means to correct ourselves, to come to God in prayer and seek his help. The word of God becomes for me a weapon at the time of temptation. Now, you'll find that many scriptures say that we should meditate on the word of God, that we should memorize the scriptures. Why? When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert, three temptations, every temptation, Jesus used the word of God. 
Jesus knew his scriptures, Old Testament and the Psalms, to the T, and he used those scriptures to counter Satan. Everything, every one of those scriptures which Jesus used was from the book of Deuteronomy. And we also can use the word of God to help us to fight temptation. Uh, I also want to say this last thing to you that in John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3, Whenever we come into contact with the scriptures, we're actually meeting Jesus himself. If you remember the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, they said, did not our hearts burn when he opened to us the scriptures? In John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. See, the word. And that is why every time we come into contact with the scriptures, it is not just my Bible that I'm coming in touch with. I am coming in touch with Jesus himself. And this is how all the transformation of my, and the renewal of my mind can happen through the word of God. Dear brothers and sisters, I have given you these two beautiful means by which Jesus enables us to transform and renew our minds. And I hope and pray that we will foster a devotion to the Holy Spirit. He will strengthen us to such an extent that we can sense temptation, we can perhaps counter every false ideology. We, need, we will never get disturbed, I must tell you. If the Holy Spirit is with you, let anyone say anything to you, let anybody provoke you, you will never get disturbed. Why? The fruit of the Spirit will start manifesting in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What more do you and I want? Spiritual growth, fruit bearing is something that the Lord wants. And this will come about simultaneously with the renewal of my mind. I will be bearing fruit in my life and I will become a person who is pleasing to God. Praise the Lord. Let us close our eyes for a moment. In the silence of our hearts, let us ask Jesus and tell Jesus, Lord, I want to think like you. I want to feel like you. I want to have desires the kind that you had when you lived on this earth as a human being. I desire to live a life of holiness and obedience, even to the point of death, as you did. 
I not only want to know you more and more, Jesus, in my life, but I want to grow in my relationship with you. Dear Lord, we surrender our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. And we ask you, dear Lord, to heal our bodies, to cleanse our minds, and give us a deeper yearning in our spirit for you and you alone. We lift up our hearts to you this evening, Lord, and we pray not only for ourselves, but we pray for our family members, we pray for every person in our church, and we pray for everyone in this wide world. The Spirit of God has been given so that the world will be convinced of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And we pray, Lord, that this convincing taking place in the minds of people will draw them to experience the depths of your love. Thank you and praise you for your holy word. Thank you and praise you for the Holy Spirit. And above all, we thank our Father in heaven for having given you to us, Jesus, because you and you alone can help us become the children of our Father, pleasing to him, for he has said that he has chosen us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in and through you, our Lord. And so we make our prayer to our Father in heaven through you, Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. So on behalf of the group.